Uh, I, I wonder, uh, did, you, did, you ever, did you ever really, did you ever really mess up? Uh, what I mean is, did you ever have something that was so meticulously planned, it just couldn't go wrong, everything was planned out, and, it, and then it just went famously belly up? Or have you ever crafted a well-designed, uh, like a project or something you were going to be doing, only to have it just collapse in defeat, just just evaporate, crumble. And well, um, I want to welcome you. It's something else I want to do this morning. I want to welcome you to the future. I lovingly dedicate this next futuristic story to those of you who are sitting here today, and you're saying to yourself, "I'm just so glad." that no one really knows me. You, nobody knows my personal information. Nobody knows my past. Nobody knows my actions. Nobody knows my finances. Nobody knows any of my account dealings. Nobody knows of my travels. Nobody knows of my whereabouts. By the way, if you're one of those people, can I just reassure you, I still love you. If you're one of those people, listen to this. A man calls Pizza Hut to order a pizza. Is this Pizza Hut? No, it's Google Pizza. Oh, I must have dialed the wrong number. Sorry. No, no, no. No, sir. No. Google bought Pizza Hut about three months ago. So you have the right number. Okay, I'd like to order a pizza. Well, do you want your usual? My usual? You know me? Uh, according to our caller ID, the data sheet, the last 12 times you called, you ordered, let me see, an extra large pizza with extra cheese or three cheese, sausage, uh, pepperoni, yeah, and you want that on a thick crust. Super. That's what I'll have. That's what I'll have. Uh, so uh, may I suggest that you might want to order you might want to order a pizza without salt and with ricotta and with broccoli and with dried tomatoes and olives on a whole wheat gluten-free, thin crust. Well, I, I don't want a vegetarian pizza. Yeah, sir, but, but your cholesterol is rather high. <laughs> How do you know that? Well, uh, we, we cross-referenced your home phone number with your medical records, and we have... We have the result of your blood tests for the last seven years. Okay, but, but I, I, don't want, I don't want any, 
any rotten vegetable pizza. I already take medication for my cholesterol. Uh, well, uh, excuse me, sir, but you have not taken your medication recently. <laughs> According to our database, you, you purchased only uh, one box of 30 tablets or capsules uh, from Lloyd's Pharmacy, and that was like f five months ago. Yeah, but I bought some at another pharmacy. Well, that doesn't show on your credit card account. No, because I use cash. Uh, but you didn't withdraw enough money from your bank account <laughs> to pay for those. I have other sources of cash. That doesn't show up on your income tax returns unless you bought them under some undeclared income source, which you know is against the law. What the? What the? What in the? What? Uh, I'm sorry, sir, but we are here to look after, we're here to look after your best interests, physically, medically, in every which way. Okay, that's enough. That's enough already. That is it. That's it. That's it. That's it. We're done. I am sick to death of Google and Facebook and Twitter and WhatsApp and all these other things. I'm just sick of it. I didn't just subscribe to any of it. I don't follow any of it. I shouldn't be on there. <laughs> I'm going to an island without any internet, without any TV, without any phone connection, without any contact with the world, and nobody will be able to see me, nobody will be able to find me, nobody will be able to spy on me. I, 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 I understand, sir, I understand, I understand. But you can't really do that. Why? because your passport ran out six weeks ago. <laughs> Have you ever been or ever noticed that God quite often makes any experience in life, any experience, a learning experience? <laughs> well, there's a tiny little a book in the Bible. It's so precious. It's so wonderful, and it's so holy, that I think sometimes we just purposely overlook it. And I'm referring to the book of Esther. And if you're not there yet, would you please go there in your Bible or your app or whatever, and I'll give you a minute or an hour, because it might take you a little while to find it. If you're in the Psalms or, or Job or in around that area, you're close. You're getting close. Just keep fumbling around, and you'll find it. That's what I had to do. But this thing is so full of lessons that we can apply personally and directly to our lives. So let's really dig into it. Now, I want to just say something that you may or may not know about the book of Esther. God's name, God's name is never used, not even once in the book of Esther. And you don't have to go looking at it now. That's just a fact. But that book is full. I mean, it's screaming full of God. Everywhere you look. 
In the original Hebrew, the author encoded the name for God in the style of writing. He would insert phrases where the first letter of each word spelled out the name of God and all of his sovereignty. And if you were a believer then, or if you trusted God and you knew God, then that was clear to you as you read it. But if you were an infidel and outside of God, you, you, that was hidden to you, you wouldn't even notice. Now, it wasn't unusual in cultures like that back then because they had, because where religions were mandated, if you were of a different religion, you had to be very discreet and very private. So as we'll see, God is and always will be the central theme of Esther. Never mentioned once, but the central theme repeated over and over again. So here we have in this story a simple, anonymous, orphaned Jewish girl, and she's rising. She becomes a Jewish heroine. She becomes uh, one of the most famous of all Jewish women, and she becomes, listen to this now, historian, the queen of Persia. (laughs) Now, Persia, actually the Medo-Persia that we talk of, was the largest empire of its kind up to that point in human history. And so I want us to go right now to Esther chapter 1, and I'm going to begin at verse 1, and if you're following there, keep following. I'm reading from the New English translation, uh, Translation, and if you don't have it right in front of you, it'll be on the screen, the first three verses. And by the way, we're we're going to see a little bit of this territory in just a moment. The following events happened in the days of Ahasuerus. I'm referring to that Ahasuerus who used to rule over 127 provinces extending all the way from India to Ethiopia. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he provided a banquet for all his officials and his servants. The army of Persia and Medea was present, as well as the nobles and the officials of those provinces. We have a map just to kind of give you an idea of how big an area the Medo-Persian Empire took in. And Susa... It's right down there, the citadel, it's called in some translations. What Susa was, was one of the capitals. It was such a huge area. This was the one of and probably the main capital. And that was in what we would call today southwest Iran. So you see the map, you kind of get used to it, and you can kind of see where that sits even in today's, uh, in today's geography. Now, we first meet a man by the name of Mordecai. And Mordecai's cousin is called Hadassah. That's Hebrew. That's Hebrew for myrtle or myrtle tree. So if you know anybody with the name of myrtle, it came from the Jewish word Hadassah. All right? And we find that in chapter 2. We're going there now. And verse 7. Now, he was acting as the guardian of Hadassah. That, this is Mordecai they're talking about. That is Esther, the daughter of his uncle. Okay, stop and think. A daughter of your uncle would be your, your cousin. Neither her father nor her mother was alive. This young woman was very attractive and had a beautiful figure. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had raised her 
as if she were his own daughter. Now, at that time, the Persian king, because he could do whatever he wanted at will, has already sent his wife, the queen, he has sent her away for disobedience. Disobedience to his orders, his rules, his commands. And now, he has chosen this beautiful young lady to be his new queen. Next, after we've met that queen, we find out that that queen and all other Jews in Persia are slated for annihilation. Can I say something about history? And I think you might be able to understand this if you understand the last 70 years. Some things that happen in history under God's watchful eye just seem to keep happening. Just seem to happen over again. Just seem to... All the Jews in that day, in that Persian Empire, were slated for annihilation. So this queen, brave heart she was, would have to appeal to the king, which was physically and literally, it was just impossible. Because the law prohibited anyone, including the queen, from approaching the king unless invited to do so. Keep that in mind. Queen Esther said, Samuel said it before her, he said, here, I, here am I, send me. And her words were, if I perish, I perish. If I don't do this, I'll be dead. If I do it and I'm killed, I won't be any more dead. Well, I want to translate it into English. If I perish, I perish. That's chapter 4, verse 16. So cousin Mordecai actually had explained all this to her and warned her and warned her and warned her. You can see it in chapter 4, and I'm starting to read at verse 14. If you keep quiet at this time, he told her, liberation and protection for the Jews will appear from another source, while you and your father's household perish. It may very well be that you have achieved royal status for such a time as this, or you have come to this kingdom for such a time. Wow. Nobody can thwart the will of God. But Mordecai explained, it may be very well that you have achieved royal status for such a time as this. Now with this in mind, let's move into chapter 5. And I'm moving ahead because that's where I want to be, chapter 5. And I've shortened this message on purpose because it's so important to me and it will be to you that we're going to do two parts of it. And when this thunderous applause dies down, I'll continue. Now, chapter 5, <laughs> chapter 5 is key. Oh. And my message this morning is this. When the plan backfires. I don't want you to raise your hand or even nod your head, but you ever had a plan that backfired? So we pick it up in chapter 5 at verse 1 and read, again, I'm going to read the first three verses. It so happened that on the third day, Esther put on her royal attire and stood in the inner court of the palace. And Bob's translation was, she got all dolled up. And she just stood there. 
Where? Opposite the king's quarters. So he couldn't miss her if he wanted to, and he didn't. The king, it says, was sitting on his royal throne in the palace opposite the entrance. And when the king saw Queen Esther, in my Bible, there's these... Doo, 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 doo. Not really. When, king, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she met with his approval. Hmm. Another verse says she was very beautiful and had a beautiful figure. So the king had good eyesight, and the king extended to Esther the gold scepter that he held in his hand, and Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. And the king said to her, now listen to this, what is on your mind, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even as much as, listen to this, you saw the map, half the kingdom will be given to you. Wow. Wow. That, wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? That would be a chunk of land. You see, it wasn't wealth that Esther wanted. It wasn't fame that Esther was after. It wasn't land or a kingdom that she sought. But what he's saying here is now, my lady, you are free to make whatever request you want and make it known to me directly. You don't think this is a powerful book of the Bible? Yeah, his name's not in there, but he is all over this wonderful book. And I want to say this just to kind of move you into this real story here, and it's a real story, and Jews still celebrate it to this very day. Here's a principle of life. Always set the stage for maximum impact. And if you don't know anybody that ever did that or does it or lives by that, you just refer to the book of Esther. Always set the stage for maximum impact. Why go straight to the point when a scenic route reveals a much greater lesson? You say, I asked God for that a week ago, and I don't have it yet. Why don't I have it? He, he could just answer that. He could have just looked after that. I could have just received that. That could have been done. Why do I have to sit and worry about it? Why do I have to ask him again? Why? Because sometimes the scenic route reveals a much greater lesson. I could say that over and over and over till we all got it, but I hope you're catching that. You see, she simply invited the king and Haman... H-A-M-A-N, who was his right-hand man, like his prime minister, he invited them to a, she invited them to a luncheon. And you'll find that in chapter 5, verse 4. And they were both very quick to accept the invitation. You'll see it in verse 5. I'm not putting all the verses on the screen. I want you to do some work here. At the luncheon, verse 5, the king asked, so what is your request? You see... <laughs> Someone says, I, 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 I got to talk to you because I, I got news. I got a surprise for you. And you nearly tear your hide off trying to figure out and trying to get them to say, well, what's the news? What's the surprise? Come on, tell, tell, tell me. Tell me. And here's the reason, because it's built into our nature. 
Here it is. Here's the reason that we, we just, we act that way. Because mystery moves people. How many of you like to watch mysteries on the screen or you like to read mystery books and you like those kind of stuff? Why? Why? Because it moves you. And when you're stopping in the middle, you can't wait to get back to where you were because you want to know what you don't know. Mystery moves people, right? You're more moved by what you don't know, can't see, and can't control than by what you can so her request is in chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. She simply invited them both to a dinner. I mean, a real big meal, not a luncheon. And at that time, she will do as the king wishes and will give her request. And that's what, he told, that's what she told him, and she was true to her word. Now, let me give you a little more of the backstory. By this time, Haman's inflated ego, because now he's hobnobbing with the king. He's going to luncheons with the queen, and, you know, he's, he's getting his way here. But that inflated ego is about to explode. Matter of fact, it's going to implode. He and the king shared a private lunch with the queen. Think of that. Just think of that much. Now they're going to a real dinner party, too. Woo-hoo. Haman can hardly contain himself. Matter of fact, he can't, really. And in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 of chapter 5, guess what? Woo. Haman gathered friends and family to share his importance with them. Haman was filled with rage. Let's all say that word on the count of three. One, two, three. Rage. See, you can't even say it with a happy face. Rage. Haman was filled. Didn't have a little tiny little itsy bitsy piece of rage. He was filled with rage toward Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow to him. And Mordecai would not honor him. And Mordecai didn't even accept the fact that he was the number two man in the kingdom. My friend, hear me very carefully. When you focus only on yourself, life is always out of focus. That kind of, I would say at best, a tepid response. When you focus only on yourself, your life is out of focus. Hmm. Haman was so thrilled with himself. He was so caught up in his own greatness. He was like, you've heard of cloud nine. Well, he was on cloud 99. I mean, this guy was just beside himself in his feelings and his emotions. And all he could see was his own perceived importance. Haman was inebriated with his own significance. Chapter 5, verse 13 Then he said, all this fails to satisfy me, this is what Haman said, as long as I have to see Mordecai, that Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Ooh. Ooh. And then verse 14, chapter 5. 
He gathered all, all, all the fair-weather friends were with him and his wife, uh, Zareth. Zeresh, and uh, verse 14 says, Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows 75 feet high, Bill. And in the morning, tell the king that Mordecai should be hanged on it. Then go with the king to the banquet contented. Seemed like a good idea to Haman. So he had the gallows built. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, what I mean is, back in the king's quarters, the king couldn't sleep. Chapter 6, verse 1, you can read it yourself. <laughs> so he does something interesting. And thank God that Mordecai is a man of exquisite detail. There's nothing to, that will solve insomnia better than reading the minutes of a business meeting. So in verse 2 of chapter 6, here's what I read. It was found written, boy, that word is important, that Mordecai had disclosed that Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, imagine those are important positions, had plotted to assassinate King Ahasuerus. Hmm. There's a subplot going on here. Mm. Mm. The king asks how, in verse 3, how this person had, had, how the person that revealed this had been honored. That's verse 3. He was surprised then and he found that nothing had been done. So, in verse 4, who is that in the courtyard, the king asked. Wouldn't you know it? It was your friend and mine, Haman, with gallows on his mind. What should be done for the man whom the king wants to honor or wishes to honor? That's verse 6. Haman thought to himself, well, who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? More than his right-hand man. My name is Haman. So he was sure that it, this honor was all for him. He's so eager. In verses 8 and 9, Let them bring royal attire which the king himself has worn, said Haman, and a horse on which the king himself has ridden, <clears throat> one bearing the royal insignia. Then let this clothing and this horse be given wow, to one of the king's uh, noble officials, and let him then clothe the man whom the king wishes to honor, and let him lead him about through the plaza of the city on the horse, calling before him, so shall it be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. Here is ironclad proof 
You've heard this a lot of times in your life, but here's ironclad proof. If you want it, you got it right here, biblically. Truth is stranger than fiction. Now, maybe, I don't know, someone said maybe this is the beginning of Murphy's Law. I don't know if Murphy was involved in this story or not. I don't know. You know Murphy's Law, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever can go wrong, will go wrong. I live by O'Malley's law. O'Malley thought Murphy was an optimist. <laughs> so if this is Murphy's law in action, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And by the way, it did. It did. So the title of this message, this two-part message is, When the Plan Backfires. It's getting interesting. A lot of hatred. A lot of malice. Rage, the Bible calls it. Intense anger. Is it any different Today, there is so much anger, there is so much hatred, there is so much real intolerance, there is so much bitterness, there's so much unforgiveness. Huh? Really, there's so much, it's, it's, it's disproportionate, really, it just doesn't make sense. Why? Hate has four letters. So does love. Enemies has seven. So does friends. Lying has five letters. So does truth. Hmm. Negative has eight. So does positive. Under has five. So does above. Cry has three. So does joy. Anger has five. So does happy. Right has five. So does wrong. Hurt has four. So does heal. All this and more means that life is like a double-edged sword. So we need to transform every negative side into an aura of positivity that will help us to make right decisions and live by truth alone. We should always choose the better side 
of life rather than choose the lesser side of life and hope it gets better. We have choices. I just showed you in a word study. And because of those choices, we can live on the right side of life. Here's my question as I challenge you this morning. Will you move yourself to the positive, right, blessed side of life? And will you do it in Jesus' name? If you're already there, there may be areas, I think you'd admit, if you're not there or can't let go or have never given up, I tell people, if that's the way it's going to be and other people are going to win the case, then at least, at least send them a bill for renting space in your head. So all of this negativity, all of this rage, all of this that we see in our, we see it in public officials, but we see it everywhere in, in, in our world today. And I wish I could say, yeah, but I think it's taken a turn for the better, and I think it's going to really straighten out, and everything's going to be fine. Well, you need to read your Bible, and you need to know what's coming. But you know what I'm saying? You and I have a choice because we know Jesus. He didn't say, I'm just another prophet, another teacher, somebody that leading another religion. He said, I am, the great I am, I am the way, the truth, and what else? And the life. And if you want that positive message, and you want it to explode in your life, then I'm asking as I pray this morning that you would make that commitment to God through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your precious word. My, 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 so much to learn. Every lesson we learn is another lesson heaped on an, a previous lesson. And as we go through the book of Esther, we see this over and over and over again. So Lord, help our minds and our spirits. Help our lives, our actions, our words, our thoughts, whatever it might be. Help those to be so centered on you, Lord, that we would not even allow the thought of these outside actions which would tear away our peace, our joy, all these things that we've been learning about and studying about in, in, from, from this very podium in the last several weeks. But Lord, that we make that decision today, and you do your work, and we move from the negative side of living to the positive aura of life. Please bless those that are making that heartfelt decision this very moment, and we're going to give them a few moments just to seal that decision and ask you, Holy Spirit, to make it real. When the plan backfires, we need protection. We need encouragement. We need reassurance. 
And that's what you give us in Jesus. Help us to see. Help us to know. And then help us to live in that truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.